Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Psalm chapter 107 will be the place that we study from today. So would you turn there in your copy of God's Word, Psalm 107. I love the theme of the music because it it is the theme of my sermon today. The sermon has a very simple title. It's titled Redeemed. Redeemed. Psalm chapter 107. Before we read our text, I want to tell you about a a man who was commissioned in the United States Armed Force, or Army Air Force as, a, as a lieutenant back in 1943. I'm sure you've heard of him. His name is Louis Zamperini. He served as a bombardier on B-24 Liberators in the Pacific. And one day he was uh, going with 10 other guys aboard the Green Hornet in search for a lost aircraft when they encountered a mechanical failure of their own. The plane went down. And it crashed and it killed most of the crew. Louis and two other survivors um, somehow miraculously survived. And, and then they climbed into a life raft. And the story says they had six bars of chocolate and six pints of water. After 10 days at sea, a, a plane finally flew over. And hope was almost immediately restored. And they tried to get the plane to stop, but the plane didn't see them. And the plane flew on by. Several days later, a Japanese plane flew by and started firing shots. It wasn't friendly fire. Zamperini dove underwater and somehow survived that. In fact, he survived another another 47 days by drinking rainwater and capturing a few fish. He and the remaining crewmen eventually landed on the Marshall Islands and were captured by Japanese soldiers. As prisoners of war, they were tortured and used as guinea pigs to try out various drugs and narcotics that the Japanese had devised. Several months later, the men were shipped to a man-made island off the coast of Tokyo that was designed especially for POWs. It was there that Zamperini was tortured by a general with the nickname The Bird. He was merciless. Louis was later transferred to a camp 400 miles north of Tokyo only to be tormented by The Bird again. They say he was singled out and tortured more more than any of the other American soldiers because of his international success as an Olympic runner. As the story goes, for two and a half years, Louis found himself in bondage. There were times when he could see no way out, times when he believed he would die an enslaved prisoner of war. He couldn't free himself. He couldn't escape his bondage. He needed intervention. He needed to be set free. He needed to be redeemed. His story reminds me of another group of prisoners in the Bible that we're going to talk about today who are in need of the same kind of redemption. I'm talking about the Israelites. They were in bondage. They were being held captive in a place called Babylon. And Psalm 107 was written and then preserved in Scripture to teach us a little bit about this part of Israel's history. Some call this psalm the song of the redeemed because it starts by saying, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
was a song written to demonstrate what the Lord's redemption looks like and how we should respond to it if we've been redeemed. We don't have time to study the entire psalm, but I picked out a few verses that I want to highlight for us today, verses 10 through verses 15. So I want to read that to start our sermon. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contend the counsel of the Most High God. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. But then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. The verses we read separate into two parts. There's bad news and there's good news. The the first part involves bondage. The second part involves redemption. The first three verses of our text tell us why the Israelites found themselves in bondage. The last two verses tell us how the Israelites were redeemed from bondage. So I'm going to give you the bad news first. But in order to appreciate the good news, you've got to hear the bad news. So I don't want you to think this is going to be a negative sermon. It certainly won't end that way, but it might feel a little heavy for the next few minutes because it's supposed to. The first point, the bad news, is this. Our rebellion against the Lord brings us into bondage. Our rebellion against the Lord brings us into bondage. The point we're given in verse 10 is is, is like this picture of a people that were in affliction. They were in iron, like Louis Zamperini. They were prisoners. And their prison situation is described as darkness and death. Folks, this is as bad as it gets. They may have still been breathing air, but their life as prisoners in Babylon became so hard that it felt like death. Which begs the question, why? What has happened to bring these people, God's people, to this place? Verse 11 tells us that their rebellion brought them to the place of bondage. More specifically, they've rebelled against God's Word. They've stubbornly resisted God's counsel. That's what the psalmist tells us. Now I want you to think about this. We're talking here about rebellion against the Most High God, as the psalmist describes Him. That's the most powerful God, the Creator God. This God was taking time to give them advice, to give them direction. But instead of receiving it, they looked at God and they said, we don't want to hear what you have to say. Now that's some kind of audacity. Because this is the Most High God who speaks to the wind and it blows where He bids. This is the Most High God who tells the ocean, you stop here and it stops right there. This is the Most High God who speaks to everything else in creation, and creation says yes. But you get to this group of people, and they look at Him after He speaks, and they say no. As a result of their rebellion against God, an enemy nation 
had attacked them. Had attacked them. It destroyed their community. Most of them died. The others were taken into captivity where they were oppressed and enslaved. Now, some of you are probably thinking, what does this have to do with my life? I'm not an Israelite. I would tell you this has everything to do with your life and mine today, because the Israelites are a picture of you and me, every single one of us in here today. There's not a person under the sound of my voice who hasn't rebelled against the Word of God. Sure, it looks different for all of us, but we're all guilty of it. We've all resisted the counsel of the Most High God. We've all said, my ways are better than your words. My wisdom is better than your counsel. All of us have done that. And as a result of our rebellion against God, we've not all been attacked by a physical enemy, but we have been attacked by a spiritual enemy. This is the story of every human being since the first humans on earth. Adam and Eve, the first humans, were free to enjoy every tree of the garden except one, and then along comes their spiritual adversary who tells them that God is not good and God is holding out on them. Satan told them to eat of that one forbidden tree and they'll be truly free. And so they ate of that and just like that they were no longer free. They became slaves to sin and death. And ever since then, the same adversary has come to enslave us in the same way. Here's the truth. We all have sin that we're in bondage to. And it usually starts with the sin of pride. Now, I told you it's bad news first, so I want you to hang with me. We've got to talk about this. Pride is what C.S. Lewis called the essential vice. The utmost evil, he says, that plagues every single person. And he talks about how we're enslaved to pride, mostly in that we compare ourselves with other people. Maybe you've read his classic book, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis wrote this, we say that people are proud of being rich, are clever, are good-looking, but they are not. He said they are proud of being richer, are cleverer are better looking than others. If there were others who were equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. So Lewis said, it's comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. That's pride. And I would add that it cuts both ways. Pride is also despair of being below the rest. See, we're enslaved today. To, to, to what other people think about us, a, a preoccupation with ourself. But it's not just the sin of pride. Related to pride is envy or jealousy. This tendency to, to look to others and what they have and want it. Or even worse, to resent them for having it. Others in here today may be held in bondage by anger. A temperament that can so easily lash out at somebody else, either with words or at least with thoughts, or today with thumbs. Sometimes anger is suppressed on the inside. Sometimes it's expressed on the outside. Sometimes anger is aimed at a complete stranger, and at other times it is aimed at the person closest to us. Others walked into the house of God today enslaved by sexual sin. Sexual thoughts and desires and actions. 
Before the Most High God who made us sexual beings, many are saying, I know better, God, than you know about what my body needs. And so we rebel against God's counsel when it comes to our sexuality, which, by the way, always leads to darkness and bondage. And yet some today are in bondage to the love of money. Money's not evil, just loving it too much is. Some of the most criminal acts have been done in pursuit of more money. That's ironic because people say the more money you have, the more freedom you enjoy, and it's just the opposite. Some are in bondage to the sin of the tongue, gossip and slander, so quick with our mouths or on our phones to speak in ways that aren't good for others. And yet the most blinding sin for all of us today is the sin of self-righteousness. The temptation to think as I'm labeling, categorizing all these sins, the temptation to think that's not me. He's talking to somebody else. I'm not that bad of a person. But the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all in bondage to sin. There's not one exception in here today. And yet that reality makes us vulnerable to another type of bondage as as we're weighed down with feelings like guilt. After we sin, then we we, we feel guilt, guilt over our past, or maybe just a constant low-level guilt in the present that we can't shake, which, which oftentimes leads to shame. Shame over things that we've thought or or said or felt or done, or shame over things that have been done to us, which usually gives way to hurt and internal ache that we go to bed with at night and wake up with the next morning. That lasts long enough, then we face bitterness and unforgiveness, that toxic emotion that destroys somebody from the inside out, which then gives way to anxiety. And before long, we're paralyzed by fear, fear of the unknown, fear of the future, and ultimately fear of death. What's my point? My point is we've all rebelled against the Word of God. We've all resisted the counsel of the Most High God. We are all more like the Israelites than we think we are today. But let's be honest. We tell ourselves something different, don't we? We tell ourselves that we're okay. We tell ourselves that we're not all that bad. We tell ourselves that we're free, or mostly free. But we're not free. We're fooled. This is the worst kind of slavery when you're so enslaved that you've convinced yourself that this is what it means to be free. When in reality, we're all on a road that leads to eternal slavery and death. And and the Bible is so very clear about what this picture means for all of us in the end. If we die in the state of spiritual bondage to sin, the Bible says we will spend eternity in afflictions, in irons, in bonds, in never-ending darkness and death and bondage to sin. 2 Peter 2 verse 4 describes those in hell as being in chains of utter darkness. Think about that image, chains of utter darkness, slavery to eternal darkness, bondage to eternal darkness. I want you to see this picture of every one of our lives, now and forever, if, if this is the end of the story. 
But praise be to God that this is not the end of the story. And praise be to God it's not the end of my sermon. Psalm 107 verse 13, look at your Bible again. After all of that, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Let me give you some good news. Though our rebellion against the Lord has brought us into bondage, watch here, our cry to the Lord redeems us out of bondage. When the Israelites got sick and tired of being sick and tired, when they reached the end of themselves, when they finally figured out that their rebellion wasn't freeing them but enslaving them, what did they do? They cried out to God. This means they identified themselves as helpless. They realized they couldn't free themselves. They, they recognized, church, that the Most High God was right after all, and they were wrong all this time. And so they cried, God, help us. They cried, God, forgive us. God, deliver us. God, rescue us. God, save us. God, redeem us. They knew they needed redemption, and we need the same thing. We need someone to break our bands and sunder. We need someone to save us out of our troubles. We need someone to free us from the shadow of death and bring us out of the darkness of sin. And I ask you today, who can do that? Who in the entire roll call of humanity past our present is qualified to redeem you. Can we redeem ourselves? Now the answer is no, because we're enslaved. Slaves don't redeem slaves. Can somebody else in our life redeem us? Like our pastor, he's a good guy. Nope. He's a sinner too. Well, how about the spiritual heroes of the past? Like, surely Abraham can redeem us. He's the father of God's people. If not Abraham, maybe Moses. He delivered God's people. If not Moses, certainly Joshua. He, he led God's people into the promised land. If Joshua can't get it done, then, then maybe King David, a man after God's own heart, can redeem us. Maybe prophets like Elijah or Daniel or Ezekiel or, or Jeremiah or Isaiah or John the Baptist, like maybe they can do it. Certainly Mary the mother of Jesus can redeem me. Maybe the three closest disciples to Jesus, Peter and James and John, maybe they're the answer. Or maybe the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the greatest missionary ever to walk the earth, the apostle Paul. Not to mention everyone else in history, Muhammad, Buddha, Joseph Smith, this Hindu priest, that New Age guru, certainly they have something I need to be free. Can they redeem us? And the resounding answer is no. No, they can't. And here's why, because every person I just mentioned has sinned against God. 
The halls of history are lined with men and women who rebelled against God's Word, just like you and me. And we can't be redeemed by rebels. We can't be saved for eternity by sinners. And that puts us all in a really tough spot right now. Because we're in bondage to sin, we're in bondage to darkness, we're in bondage to death, and who can redeem us? That reminds me of a time when I, I took my son to an arcade. How many of you have ever taken your kids to a place like, I don't know if they have Chuck E. Cheese around here anymore, or some arcade place? You know what I'm talking about? That COVID-19 actually existed in those places before it ever came out nationwide. <laughs> like those ball pits that they're full of COVID-19, they have been since the 80s. <laughs> In those arcades are, are games you put tokens into, right? And, and, and you play those. And if you play them right, you win tickets, tickets like these. And, and you get to redeem these tickets for a prize. How many did this as a kid? This is, this is fun for a kid to do. I took Kevin to one of these arcades when he was, I don't know, three or four years old. Now, now today, he's, he's 12 years old, just started the seventh grade. If he goes into an arcade, I think he can do pretty well with earning tickets. Um, but when he was four years old, he wasn't quite as good at earning tickets. I mean, a four-year-old is, is standing at the skee-ball game, and instead of rolling the balls up there, he is throwing them up there, then you know the, the, the ticket return is not going to be great, right? So on this particular day, he spent all his tokens trying to earn some tickets. And he has about this many to spend. So, so we head over to what we, what we would call, or I would refer to today as, as the redemption counter, right? Where you can turn your tickets in for a prize. So we get to this counter. If you ever been to one of these, they have, they have shell, shelves, and, and the higher you go up on the shelf, the greater the prize is. And do you want to know where my son's eyes went first as a three-year-old boy? On, on the very top shelf was like this life-size stuffed animal. And he said, Daddy, I would really like that. I'd really like that. And I said, bud, we don't have enough tickets for that. He said, daddy, I played good. I want that. We don't have enough tickets for that. And so his eyes went down a little lower on the shelf. And he saw a remote control car. He said, I want that. How about that? And I said, buddy, we'd have to, we'd have to play that, that dumb game for like two weeks at this pace to be able to get that. Can't afford that. He just, the lower his eyes got, the, the, the sadder his disposition became. And, and he got to the, to the next one, and, and he, he saw this lava lamp. And I said, bud, that's just weird. Lava lamps are weird. I'm sorry if you had a lava lamp, but that's weird. I said, they're pointless. They're just, they're just dumb. They're just weird. No, you're not, no. Even if you had enough tickets, you're not getting a lava lamp. But you still don't have enough for the lava lamp. And his eyes went to the 
not a bottom shelf, but the little glass compartment. And he said, what can I get? And with all the enthusiasm I could muster and manufacture, I, I kneel down and I say, buddy, there's an eraser. There's a Tootsie Roll. There's a spinning top, four different colors. And he was terribly sad. But Daddy, why can't I get that up there? And I said, because you don't have enough tickets. And this is the picture of every one of us spiritually. We find ourselves standing at the redemption counter of eternity with our highest hope of freedom and forgiveness on the top shelf, and we do not have enough tickets. Which begs the question, who does? Who has the tickets? Who can redeem us? Well, this dear lady over here has been saying it all throughout my sermon, so I'm going to just join her. It's Jesus. Come on, join her. It's Jesus. It's the Most High God. I love how the psalmist puts this at the very beginning of the psalm. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The Lord, that Lord is, is all caps in my Bible. So in our English translations, for one of God's names in Scripture, when it's, when it's all caps like that, it means Yahweh. Yahweh is God's covenant relational name. It's the name of Israel's God, meaning He was their God and they were His people. He redeemed them. He purchased them. He had the tickets. But the good news for us is that Yahweh isn't just an Old Testament idea. It's the name of God who came to earth as Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Because you turn over to Matthew chapter 1 in verse 21, and it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And the name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. And the rest of that verse says this, for he, Yahweh, the Lord, all caps, shall save his people from their sins. I want you to get this. God the Most High came to Israel and redeemed them from their bondage to sin. And then God the Most High came to us through the Lord Jesus so that we too could be redeemed and set free from our sin. Here's the picture. We're standing at the redemption counter of eternity with our meager amount of tickets in our hands. And we have no idea how we're going to be redeemed, how we're going to be forgiven, how we're going to get to heaven. And then Jesus steps up, the Lord Most High, and He shouts, I have enough tickets. I have paid the price to redeem you. I loved you even though you rebelled against me. I've come to you even though you ran from me. I've listened to you even though you've ignored me, and I've made it possible for you to go away free. I have the tickets. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is saying to you today, if you cry out to me, I will save you from your distress. I will bring you out of darkness. I will rescue you from death, and I will break your bands in sunders. If you need tickets, Jesus is the ticket. What can wash away my sin? Come on, answer me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Answer me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We started the sermon with the story of Louis Zamperini. He was a prisoner in need of redemption. He was a hopeless man surrounded by darkness and death. In fact, if you know the story, you know that the United States had already declared Zamperini dead. Went so far as to give his parents a purple heart on his behalf. They legit thought he was gone. But on August 6, 1945, the United States dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, and and less than a month later, Japan surrendered. Zamperini was found alive, and was eventually set free on September the 5th, 1945. But once he got back to normal life, it became clear that Louis didn't have in himself what, what it took to become a whole person. So while he was freed from the Japanese prison, he remained imprisoned in his inner man, And was as miserable, they say maybe even more so, in his so-called freedom as he'd been in captivity. They say that he became a drunk, and his life was spiraling out of control. And then his wife Cynthia even initiated a divorce. But in September of 1949, is that thunder? Is the hurricane coming? (laughs) I'll hasten to a close. In Kansas, if they hear thunder, it's like, whatever. But I know you're nervous, so hang with me. (laughs) September of 1949, a young evangelist, you might have heard of him, Billy Graham. He came to Southern California, Los Angeles. He held a three-week campaign to bring people to Christ, and Cynthia attended. Louis's wife, and she accepted Christ as her Savior. She returned home, and she informed Louis of her new life in Christ. And she even told him, I'm no longer pursuing the divorce And Louis was relieved by the fact that he wasn't going to lose his wife, but he made it real clear to Cynthia, I want no part of this spiritual awakening. Nevertheless, the Lord drew him, and Louis attended, and on the second day of that same rally, he came forward to receive Christ himself. Was it real? Well, I'll just quote his testimony. You you tell me. He said, I dropped to my knees, and for the first time in my life, truly humbled myself before the Lord. I asked him to forgive me for not having kept the promises I've made during the war and for my sinful life. I made no excuses. I did not rationalize. I did not blame. He had said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I took him at his word, begged for his pardon, and asked Jesus to come into my life. On that day, Louis wasn't just redeemed as a prisoner of war. He was redeemed as a prisoner of sin. One redemption came as a result of a powerful army that rescued him. 
The other redemption, the more important one, was the result of a resurrected Lord that heard his cry. And maybe you're here today and you're in need of spiritual redemption. You have this, but you need this and you know it. Here's the good news. You've already taken the first step. You're here. You heard the word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You heard it. But friend, just being in a spiritual place on a spiritual day does not redeem you. Just feeling like you've been redeemed doesn't mean you've been redeemed. You have to see your need for redemption and you have to humbly cry out to the Lord. That doesn't mean you say a quick prayer today and then you go on your way. It means you humbly recognize you have rebelled against the most high God. It means you accept the bad news. And it means that you accept the fact that that rebellion has placed you into bondage and you cannot free yourself. You cannot jump into that baptistry and be changed. You cannot sing some songs with this lovely church and change. You cannot just say a quick prayer to close the service and change. You cannot give something in the offering on your way out today and change. You can do all of that on the outside, but on the inside you can be a prisoner still. You must turn your back on your sin. You must say the most high God is right and I'm wrong. It's not about just getting a free ticket to heaven. It's about letting Yahweh enter into a covenant relationship with you and take over your life. And when you are willing to turn your back on your sin, run from your rebellious ways with God's help, and make the resurrected Lord the Lord of your life, He will hear your cry. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But maybe you're here today. I just sense from just the participation in the singing and the preaching that many of you are redeemed and praise the Lord for it. But maybe you, you made it to this house of worship today and though you, you, you are free and you're going to spend eternity with Jesus forever, you have walked right back into some of the old sin. And you are enslaved by some things that Jesus has set you free from. And you have ran back and relapsed into some things today. That when you got saved, you repented of. And if you're honest, you've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And it's not that you don't enjoy this worship service. It's just that when you leave this worship service, you go back to who you were before you were saved. And you're not living like you're free. You're not living like you're redeemed. And to you, this is a good reminder that the same grace that set you free in the first place can give you victory over any sin you brought with you to church today. Hidden sin, private sin, public sin, sin that's destroying your marriage, sin that is destroying your career, sin that is destroying your relationship with your kids, sin that is de destroying your future, sin that is destroying your finances, sin that is destroying your health. Jesus Christ is the answer, not yourself. Jesus says, so fall on your knees and cry out to him again. And he will give you his grace. And yet some of you are redeemed. And you're living in that freedom. And you're loving it. And so the message to you is this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
Oh, that the children of men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And so while some may come today and admit their need of Christ, and others may come today and and say, Christ, I need your grace to overcome this, this sin that I'm in bondage to, maybe you should come today and simply say, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you that you saved a wretch like me. Because a lot of times we enter into our prayer closets and we say, Jesus, will you? Jesus, will you? And every once in a while, we just need to come into a prayer closet and say, Jesus, thank you. And maybe today's that day for you who are saved to humbly just cry out in thanksgiving. I am giving my praise to the good God of Israel who saved me and redeemed me from my sin. If you agree with the Lord and appreciate it, let the church say amen. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.